For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. What's the context for this? The context is Peter. Peter says a couple of verses before, Be it far from thee, this shall not be unto thee. What shall not be unto thee, unto Jesus? The verse before that, Began Jesus to show unto his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised again the third day. Kind of a strange connection. We've always tied this with the second coming, right? Christ coming with all of his angels. And really, I'll leave that for somebody else. The idea and the concept of Christ coming in his glory to the world. But I want to look at what this verse is saying in the context of um, the set of, of the verses around it. So after Peter rebukes Jesus and says, this shall not come, being handled and killed by the elders and etc. Jesus says this, um, Get behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense to me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Peter did not yet savor the things of God. What things of God specifically? Well, obviously, um, the thing to which Jesus was uh, of which Jesus was speaking a moment before. The implication here seems to be that God savors the one who makes an, a sacrifice. In this instance, even the ultimate sacrifice. Peter couldn't savor that sacrifice. There was something that he lacked. It seems that he savored the things of men. And what are those things of men? Well, it appears that the thing which he savored, you um, might say, or the thing that he valued in this instance, was Jesus's life. He wanted Jesus to live on. He didn't want Jesus to be handled by the chief priests and etc. And that's the way things are in the world of men. They value their lives and prize them very highly. And they do not want to see their loved ones go through pain and sacrifice. But that seems to be an offense. It says, thou art an offense to me. So since Jesus is talking, we can imply that he's saying that uh, he savors not the things of God. In his state of being human at the time, He's looking up to his Father, up to the Father, up to God. What does God love? What does God desire? The very things that Peter abhors, the things that Peter can't imagine, the things that Peter wants to avoid at all costs. But Peter's a man, so that makes sense. And you could say that Peter is still, in a sense, of the world. He savors the things that be of men. And then Jesus turns it back on Peter and upon the disciples, or his apostles, and says, if any man doesn't deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, or rather, if a man will follow me, he'll take up his cross and follow me. 
implying that this is not something that he simply intends to do, but that those who follow him uh, will do, that they will also have a cross, that they will suffer similar things to what Jesus suffered. And then he says, um, who will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life shall save it. Um, so shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. And then verse 26, what is a, a man profited if he gain the world uh, and lose his soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Seems to imply this idea that both cannot be had. There's all, either saving your life saving the thing which you think to be most precious in this life and losing your soul in the next life or saving your soul in the next life and letting go of all that you care most for in this life or at least letting go of each thing which it is ordained that you let go of which also seems to imply that it's the most precious thing that we have to let go of. And all of this is the context for verse 27. The Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father. So in the glory of the one that wants this sacrifice, in the, in the glory of the one whose things Jesus savored, even to do the will of his Father, which was to make this sacrifice, and to lay down his life. And it says that he will come with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. And we've always assumed that this was uh, um, uh, coming in the end, at the end of the world. But the next verse, the last verse of the chapter, doesn't really allow for that. It says, Verily I say to you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom coming in the glory of his Father, with his angels, rewarding every man according to his works. And so this rules out the idea that this passage is talking about the second, a second coming which is at the end of the world. Though it may have some reference to what will happen in the end of the world, I doubt that it um, does not. But the context of the scripture seems to rule out the idea that that was the primary intent when the words were delivered. It implies that, that this was something that Peter and the others who were listening might experience while they were alive. That they themselves would actually see the Son of Man coming in the glory of his Father with his angels that they would see him coming in his kingdom, it says, which has an interesting implication. It seems to imply that they were not in their current state seeing Christ coming in the glory of the Father with his angels in his kingdom. It was as if they were not seeing the kingdom coming. And isn't that strange? Here they are with Jesus watching miracles, and yet they are not yet seeing the kingdom coming. But we kind of get that. It's almost as if, yeah, they, it's as if they, they don't see this kingdom yet, because, as it says back in the verses before, thou savorest not the things of God, but those that be of men. 
So they are not yet seeing Christ coming in his kingdom. They are not yet savoring the things that be of God, the things that be of the Father. But they still savor the things that be of men. They want to preserve their lives and Christ's life at all cost. And here seems to be the link, that when a person begins to value the things of the kingdom more than his or her own life, comfort, and even the relationships of men, when someone begins to value those things more than their own, value them more than the things that men value, when they begin to neglect their own safety and welfare, well-being, future prosperity, and even current prosperity, when they begin to neglect these things for the sake of the unseen world, that in fact what they're doing is they are moving towards the kingdom of God. They're beginning to see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. They're beginning to understand the thing that they could not fathom before. They're beginning to savor the things of God and not the things of men. A change has begun to be wrought in their souls. And indeed, it is this very fact that they begin to see Christ coming in the glory of the Father with his angels that gives them the strength and the desire to sacrifice all for the kingdom. And how do they see this coming? Do they see it with their natural eyes? Or do they see it with the eye of faith? In the case of the apostles, it appears that it was both, because Christ actually appeared after his death. But if we examine the scriptural record and even just the history, it appears that there are those that embrace the kingdom before they've seen with their eyes. In fact, Christ says to Thomas, Blessed are you because you saw and believed. More blessed are those that not seen believe so that there are those who are prompted to savor the things of the father because they see the son coming in the glory of the father with all his angels these live in a kind of alter reality and this alter reality sustains them enables them to see the kingdom and move toward it to make the proper sacrifices and so, of course, this is like a second coming. <laughs> Fascinatingly, it's a second coming of Jesus Christ. Christ came to us in one way. He came on earth and said the things he said and did the things he did. But then it appears that he comes to us again in a very personal way to help us personally to see the kingdom, to be able to see the things that we can't see, to be able to take up our cross and follow him, to be able to let go and allow the Father to strip from us all that offends, that he may reward each of us according to our works. But what would this look like if Christ began to come into our lives and we savored the things of men? What would happen if there was a second coming to us personally, and perhaps we don't see anything with our eyes initially, Perhaps circumstances align in such a way as to help us to sacrifice and make and to be stripped of our desires for earthly things, our desires to save our lives and to save the things we love. 
and not have them consumed, consumed in the brightness of his coming. What would that look like? Well, to us it would just look like chaos. What if Christ had not believed that his impending death was the Father's will? Then it would have been a tragedy. And the same for Peter when he was crucified upside down years later. And so this second coming of Jesus Christ is experienced in two ways. There are actually those who rejoice when their world is turned upside down because it helps them see the kingdom. It helps them see Christ coming in the glory of his Father. It helps them to see or to imagine the angels coming to help, coming to strip them of all that which savors the things of men so that they can savor the things of God. But I think that's fewer than it is, fewer than those who see it the other way. There are far more who, when they are called upon to make sacrifices, who become angry and bitter, who do not turn to God, but who go down into the pit, because they savor the things of men <clears throat> unto the end. It truly is his second coming. And so now this scripture applies to people of all times. It is not just a thing that happens at the end of the world, but a thing that happens at the end of our world. And every time we are called upon, every time that anyone in the history of the earth has been called upon to make sacrifices, we have a choice. A choice as to how we see it. A choice as to whether it helps us to draw towards and see his kingdom or helps us to find helps us to find a reason to shake our fist at heaven and to hate and resent God for his coming.